It is a good day to be in church. We want to welcome those of you who are online, man. Can we give a good welcome to our Branchville facility, guys? Good morning, gentlemen. We're so glad you're here today. Now, this month is Foster Care Awareness Month, and foster care is something near and dear to my heart, and it's something that's been near and dear to the hills from its conception, because we believe out of James chapter 1, verse 27, and I'm paraphrasing here, and Brian's going to use this in his message today, so I love that, but it says this, that pure faith is to take care, to look after the widowed and the orphaned, and this ministry, Indiana, not Indiana, America Kids Belong, we have a chapter here in Indiana, is co-founded and the president is here to speak to us today. Okay, his name is Brian Mavis. He's going to be sharing with us today. I've invited him to share this because I believe this. It is one thing to talk about loving children. It's another thing to actually do it, right? And we want to be a church that gets involved, gets dirty, and gets a part of what they're doing. So I'm going to let him share his testimony and what God is doing through America Kids Belong. Will you help me welcome Brian Mavis to the stage this morning? Thanks, Daryl. Thank <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone. And Daryl, I really appreciate, I mean, more than that, um, your personal, not, not just passion, but you, you walk the talk. And I love the passion that this church has for uh, kids from hard places. And uh, I feel like home. I'm from Colorado, but I grew up in the Midwest, just uh, a little bit west of you guys in central Illinois. So I'm a Midwesterner and feel like... I'm with my people. So um, 15 years ago, I was working as a pastor in Colorado, and I got a phone call from a child welfare worker who said, hey, can I meet with you about uh, and to talk about child welfare and foster care uh, in our county? And I said, sure. So uh, a few days later, this woman named Cindy comes to the church and meet her in the lobby and, uh, you know, shake, shake hands. And she first thing she says to me is, thanks for meeting with me. I've been trying to meet with a church and a pastor for three years. You're the first one to say yes. And so I apologize that that had been her experience with the church, but she was gracious. Um, I soon found out why she was gracious. We went back to um, my office and she shared a little bit about herself. She said that she had actually been a nun for uh, 20 years uh, working in the Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago. And uh, then she shared that she had uh, met a priest and they fell in love and became Episcopalian and got married. And so I said, all right. I said, love will change your theology. Gave her a high five. And uh, she uh, said, Brian, you know, I shared a little bit about child welfare here, but she said, I, I really just came here to tell you one thing. She said, in the 26 year history of child welfare in our county, there has never been one day, not one single day in 26 years where kids have not been waiting for families to take care of them. And she said, I have a challenge for you in your church. Can you help me change who waits? Help me recruit so many grown-ups who will step up for these kids that will be the grown-ups, the families who are on the waiting list and not the kids. So put yourself in my place. You got a former nun telling you to help kids who need families. You know if you say no, you're going to go to hell. So, so just kidding. <laughs> and so I was, it actually felt like one of those holy moments when you're like, you're, you're realizing you're being convicted that I think God is speaking through this person and said, 
absolutely, uh, we accept this challenge. So we didn't know what that meant, we didn't know what to do, but we got leaning into it. And so we thought, okay, Let's start letting people know who these kids are. So we started photographing some of the kids, got permission to do that, telling some of their stories and went around to other churches and we taught on this and said, look, and we're not just telling you about this need and responding to a cause. We want the motivation to be that we ourselves have come from hard, broken places and God came for us and he loved us and he reconciled and we were adopted by God and let that be our motivation. So we worked at it hard for a year and a year later, received this email from Boulder County Child Welfare. I wanted to share with you some very exciting news. With your help, dedication, long hours of volunteering, calling, referring, and bringing in families, we certified 104 families in 2008. That's an 89% more than last year. From myself, the family enrichment team in Boulder County, we like to thank you. You rock. I mean, wouldn't you love to have this church get an email like that or where they, you get child welfare to say, the church is amazing. And so for the first time in almost three decades, they had more than enough families. And this is really the vision and the hope of the Hills Church to say, can we do this in Vandenberg County? Can we change who waits here? And so before I share with you the stats in Vandenberg County, and it's tougher here than it was in Boulder County, I'll tell you that. But before I share that, I want to share um, a concept, a picture, to help you understand kind of the ecosystem of the child welfare world and your involvement in it as simply as I can. And so it also illustrates the problem and the solution. So first of all, think of the foster care community as a three-ring target. And in the bullseye are the group of people who are the heroes. Now the heroes aren't you. And so, uh, put your cape away, uh, it's the kids. The kids are the wounded warriors. They've been in survival mode, they've been in a combat zone. Unfortunately, that combat zone has been their home. Uh, the combat zone, their combatants have been people, adults, who were meant to take care of them. But unfortunately, uh, we're in a place where they, instead the kids receive um, either some sort of abuse or neglect. And so there's those kids, they're the heroes. And within that group, I want you to think of two, two segments of heroes. 75% of those kids, their parents are working towards healing so that they can be reconciled themselves back to their children. And you're there as a for now family taking care of them until they can be reunited. And you're rooting for them. The 25% that remain are kids where that's never gonna happen for them. Something happened so, so severely that those kids need a new forever family. Not a for now family, but a forever family. They need uh, to be adopted. So that's how that looks. Now the next circle out around the heroes is this group that is the healers. The healers, that is you, could be you. It's the families who open up not just their hearts, but their homes to these kids. And they said, we're here for you. We're gonna help you, uh, you know, uh, come to a place where you can receive uh, help and support and healing and love and, and uh, you're, you're not alone. And then the third group out, so important, that's the helpers. And the reason that's so important is that healer group, 
they quit at 50% per year. So if we were to recruit 100 healers, healing family, foster families today, we'd only have 50 left by the end of the year, unless this third group happens. And they're here to say, look, our hearts are here. We can't open up our home to a child, but we're going to foster you. We're going to adopt your family. We're going to surround you. And when it gets hard, we're going to show up. We're, we're here every week to pray for you, to help with carpooling, to help with math tutoring, to babysit, to bring you some Chick-fil-A, like whatever love feels like for you. And so that group is vitally important. And you can go from 50% to 90% staying in the game. Now, <clears throat> what I want to show you is uh, the reality, and that's the problem, is that the heroes is way bigger than the healers and the helpers. And it's two thin lines around there. And so that's the problem. And so, of course, the solution is to get the right proportionality, right ratio, where you have more than enough healing families who fostering and adopting and more than enough helper families. And so it's got to be at least a one-to-one -one ratio from kids, at least, and at least three-to-one from healers uh, from help, the helpers helping the healers. So a way to think about it is we want a family for every child. Don't you think that's kind of like good? And you want a community for every family surrounding them. So now I am going to share the stats for Vandenberg County. There are 305 kids in Vandenberg County who are in out-of-home foster care. All right, that's a lot. Here's the problem. There are only 89 foster families and kinship families. So that's a gap of 216 if you have just a one-to-one -one ratio. And like, where are those kids? They're in group homes, institutions. Some of, lots of them have been shipped out to other counties who are picking up uh, the heavy load. And so I'll be honest, I do not think like what we did in Boulder County is uh, solve the problem in one year. You've got a, a bigger gap than we did. It's going to take a few years to come, but in one year you can help close that gap. And I think this church can help other churches get started. You're going to, this church alone cannot do it. You're going to help start a movement here of churches uh, getting going. And I'm telling you, it's hard to get the church involved. It's, you're one of the rare ones. I have an easier time meeting with the governor on this issue than I do with uh, large church pastors. And so you guys can help make this happen. Now, I've shared um, some stats with you and facts. And typically, those are interesting, but they don't move your heart. And so I'd like to exchange some numbers for some names and some stats for some stories and exchange some facts that I've given you for some faces. And I want to show you a video representing real kids. And these are the kids in that 25% category who need a forever family. These are real kids that we have videoed. Some of these kids, uh, the Indian and their chapter, Indiana's Kids Belong have videoed. Some of these kids are Indiana's kids. And these are real kids here who need forever families. Let's show this video. Ready? <sighs> My name is Johnny. My name is Dela. My name is Lucas. 
My name is Ava. My name is Nico, and I'm five years old. I want people to know that I am a TikTok famous. You are not. <laughs> You're gonna hear a pizza joke. Oh wait, it's too cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I like being with my sister because she is nice sometimes. <laughs> it's, uh, most of the time. Family means to me, like, it makes, they make you feel like you belong. Been in a million and one homes. Never really had a family that actually cared enough to be family. I've never actually had a true family. Like, if that, that's hard to believe, but I've never had a true family. When I hear the word family, it means to have a home and to have a roof over my head. I want a family that will, like, take me places or not be ashamed of me. I mean, I just want a family really bad. I've been waiting my whole life. And all I'm asking is that people know that I don't care how weird your family is. I like weird families. To me, the meaning of family is it doesn't matter if it's blood. It matters that they love you and they care for you and they want you to have a good life. I want my family to be a say. This is like my adorable kid. On my very best day, I'd be at, at the courthouse with parents signing papers. I don't have no place to go. Like I need a family that's gonna help me and I need a place to be right now. I have this, you know, this little spark, but it's not, it's going out. Because I, I just need someone to light that spark. And I feel like a family would do that. I mean, that would light the spark in me. But like, I'm, I'm really hopeful for family, because I just really love family. If I had a family, that'd be my world, just, That'd mean to me a lot. I want to say, please, if y'all can get me a family, please do everything you can to help me out. And, and I hope y'all like me and, and just care about me and love me forever. Oh, I hope someday I'll make it out of here Even if it takes all night or a hundred Got your hearts yet? I mean, we filmed over 2,000 kids asking and how brave it has to be to put, make yourself in that place to say, that would mean everything if I could have a family. There are 1,500 kids in Indiana who need that. So we've shared some stats and now we've seen and heard some stories from real kids getting their own voice to share what they want. 
Let's, but what does scripture have to say about this? And you heard Daryl already mention it, uh, James 127. It's a popular kind of famous verse. And it goes like this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this verse often is uh, referred to as a command. God commands us to care for orphans and widows. But if you look at it, it's not a command. It's just a description. It's describing something. And this is important. And some of you are like maybe relieved, like, thank God it's not a command. And, uh, but it might be more important than a command, the way it's, way it's written. And so, first of all, understand that the book of James, the letter of James, written by Jesus' half-brother, James, is a letter trying to describe the difference between living faith and dead faith, faith that is real and faith that is fake. And so he says in other places in his letter, things like this, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Or be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So what James is doing here in 127 is not writing a command. Care for orphans and widows. He's doing something that's possibly more important. He's describing what authentic faith can look like. He's saying, this isn't a command. It's proof that you got the real thing. And so let's take this passage and unpack it a little bit. An exercise that uh, I love doing in uh, seminary and college, Bible college and, and now in, in life, is taking a passage and you kind of rewrite it in language that is meaningful to you. That is not twisting scripture. That's trying to get to the real heart of what is being said here. So let's start with how the verse starts off the very first word religion and a lot of us are like whoa wait a second i thought i was in a relationship with jesus not a religion and why we're using this word religion and it gives me some bad vibes i think of steeples and being scolded as a kid for you know wanting the communion and all those kinds of things and so that is not how James means you to understand that word. What he's getting at here is when he uses the word religion, he's saying this outward expression of faith or this demonstration that you have of something that is inwardly true in you. And what is inwardly true is that you believe in a God of love and a God that cares about the outsider and the vulnerable that's what you're demonstrating. The Bible even talks about using this word, this demonstration word about God. God doesn't just say he loves us. He demonstrated it in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was a demonstration of love. In other verses, take that word demonstration and they use the word God proved his love. So it's a proof, a demonstration. So Let's take this first word and unpack it a little bit and say, and rephrase it, paraphrase it this way. So instead of saying religion, say a demonstration of authentic faith. Okay, as we're getting going. Now the next line, a demonstration of authentic faith. And then it says this, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. So these two words, pure and undefiled, very synonymous with each other. Other translations use the words like faultless, unblemished, genuine, spotless. 
And so you're like, okay, we're getting these words. In Greek, uh, that word for pure is uh, the Greek word cathartic. So you've heard the word like in, when, you're, when you're grieving about something and you cry, somebody might say that was cathartic for them. It got the emotion out. It was cleansing for them. When, in, when you're in a hospital and you get a catheter, it, that, it's a tube that is taking poison out. And so it's using this idea of like, it's a cleansing kind of idea. It's, it's a clean thing. It's a pure thing. And so maybe doing this kind of work in a way kind of cleanses us. And then you see the word undefiled. And again, that's not a word that I ever say. I mean, I can't ever remember being in a conversation where I use the word undefiled to somebody. But I have used the word genuine before. So let's take this and very small uh, change in phrasing for me was let's take this and go say a demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father. Then it goes to the next part, is this, to visit. And now when I look at that and I'm like, oh good, all I have to do is visit these kids. Like, hey, hey Johnny, bye. And that is not the idea it's getting by. When, when this word visit, uh, it's used about God at Christmas. When Jesus came to be with us, it says, blessed be the Lord God in Luke 1, 6, 8, for he has visited us and accomplished great redemption for his people. Meaning visited, that he came near, that he cared for us. And other passages, other translations, it will say instead of is this to visit, it'll say is this to care. And I like that. So we could maybe use the word care. But then when I thought about the word care, I thought, oh gosh, I remember this quote that says, you can pretend to care but you can't pretend to show up. I was like, oh, I like that. And so this idea too, this tense is not just about showing up once, it's about to keep showing up. So let's look at our paraphrase again. And up to this point, we can take this passage and say it this way. A demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father is this, to keep showing up. All right, good so far. And now for, for who? Orphans and widows and their affl affliction. So what James is doing here, he's taking two groups of people on either side of the age spectrum, orphans and widows, and saying these represent the most vulnerable people in our society. But do you think he's saying only orphans and widows? What about someone who, with special needs? What about someone who's been in prison? What about the homeless? What about your neighbor who has cancer? Um, do you think James is saying, do not care for them? Do not show up? Absolutely not. He's just using them as a representation. He's saying, no, I want you to be the kind of person who shows up and keeps showing up for those people in need. And so... This, again, is a reflection of what Jesus did. He came and he showed up and he kept showing up for those who were on the margins, who felt alone, like they didn't belong, that they weren't loved. And he says, reflect Jesus by being that kind of person who shows up for these kind of people. So let's look at our verse again and conclude with uh, this final line. A demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father is this, to keep showing up for people who are hurting 
and alone. All right? That's what this passage means. It's not a command. It's a description of authentic faith, a proof that you have the genuine thing. Now, if it applies to people who are hurting and alone, why then focus on foster care today? We've looked at stats. We looked at stories. We've looked at scripture. I also want us to look at strategy. I was in a ministry that we helped all sorts of people and we decided to keep helping them, but to go deep and specialize in kids in foster care. And I'll share a little bit here why. So the first reason is, is foster care is mission and justice. If you're in foster care, you're a missionary and you are doing justice work. And the reason I say that is if kids who are in foster care who age out without being connected to a family are leading the nation and 10 social wounds. Let's go through these. The first one is uh, PTSD, trauma and mental health. One in four kids in foster care suffers with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's a special kind. It's, it's called complex or developmental because it wasn't a one-time event. It was ongoing. Uh, it was done while they were a child by, on, by people who were meant to care for them. So they struggle with, with that, of attaching to people who were meant to be safe. Second, suicide. Uh, you know, it's heartbreaking is that uh, kids in foster care who age out unconnected to family are four times more likely to commit suicide than their peers at the same age. Number three, they're the most uh, vulnerable group in America to being sex trafficked. When FBI does a sting and rescues kids, they've found anywhere from 50 to 90% of who they rescue have been in foster care. Number four, half or admit to being uh, addicted or uh, uh, having use to illegal drugs. Number five, less than half will graduate from high school. Number six, poverty. One third will live in continual poverty. Number seven, 20% of foster youth who age out will become homeless the day they age out. Number eight, incarceration. By the age of 23, nearly half of the male foster youth will have in trouble with the law and will have spent time behind bars. Number nine, unplanned pregnancies. Girls uh, are three times more likely than their peers by the age of 19 to uh, be pregnant. And number 10, that kind of just starts the whole process all over again. They're the most vulnerable group in the United States to having their own kids go into the foster care system. And so if you are involved in this work, you are touching the lives and of the, of the worlds of human trafficking, addiction, homelessness, dropout, incarceration, unplanned pregnancy. You are a missionary to those areas. And the reason I call this a justice issue is because you're going upstream. Thank God for ministries and organizations that work on those issues, that you guys work with the incarcerated. But just think for a moment, wouldn't it be good if, if you had a kid come be a part of your family and receive that healing that 10 years down the road, they won't need one of those organizations because they had a family who came in and intervened. One way to think about it is a good family is better than a great program. And so it's mission and justice work. Secondly, it's evangelism. 
Now, I hesitated to include this because uh, it could be controversial. I could see people in child welfare think like, no, that's what we're afraid of. And so I wanted to unpack this and what I mean by it. First of all, we, my wife and I, who have been foster parents uh, starting in 2005, we've never done anything that caused more people to say, why do you do this? And we get to say, because of the love of God, our neighbors. And so it's evangelism to our neighbors. The other thing, though, in the household with kids, I want you to make sure that your motive for doing this, if this were something you said, I want to step in towards, and I know some of you are already doing it, your motive for doing it is not to make kids or other people Christian. Your motive for doing it is because you are a Christian. You're living out your authentic faith. But I also, I cannot deny that the kids... I know, I know hundreds and hundreds of kids in, in foster care who then have been connected to a family who've grown up and now are over the age of 18. The ones who have come out healed and wholehearted and are thriving and doing well are kids who came to know the love of God. I can't deny it. I mean, real Annika, Tori, Embo, Joshua, Trent, Tina, these, they, they came to know the love of God while they were in foster care. Uh, I have a friend, Dr. Deb Shropshire. She's a pediatrician, and she was inspired to write a 30-day devotional for foster parents. And after she finished writing it, she was like, well, I guess I need a book cover for this devotional. And while she was examining a, a, an 11-year-old girl who had been in foster care for two months, she privately, she went to the foster mother and said, would you mind asking um, your foster daughter if she would draw a picture for me. I like to use it as a cover for this book. So the foster mom did do that and she said, I did not tell her what, what the picture should be or what it was for. I just said, would you draw a picture for Dr. Deb? That's all the instructions she got. I wanna show you what she drew that became the cover of the devotional. She took a passage from Psalm 56.3 and said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. The reason she did that is the woman had this on a picture in her house. She didn't preach to the girl, anything like that, but the girl saw that and found hope. And she was in two months in foster care, learning to trust in the love of God. So just in two months, what it could do for a kid who is afraid, who is looking for something they can hold on to for trust and hope. And then lastly, foster care is discipleship. You know, we're called to make disciples. And you're like, how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what. Have a kid come live with you for 12 days, 12 weeks, 12 months, or 12 years. That, that will do it. Now, I don't know if the kid will become a disciple, but you will finally because you'll be coming to Jesus all the time. And so one way to think about this, there's a chart here that I, think, uh, I try to use to help people understand how does spiritual growth happen? So on the left-hand side, you can see it says depth of engagement. And, you know, there's money and things. You can work with that. That's not very deep. You can work on projects. That gets your heart more involved. Or you can work with people. Then that really gets your heart involved. And then there's frequency of engagement. Uh, and you go more frequently from yearly to quarterly to monthly to weekly. And the more involved you are frequently with people, the more your heart grows. And that's how... Uh, you become a disciple. And so this is not just social work, it's deep spiritual work, and it's work that 
forms you into uh, the image of Christ. So let's uh, talk about next steps. Really just real practical, what can you do next? Well, we want to change your weights in Vandenberg County. And one of the first things, just kind of recapping it here, is to become a healer, is to explore becoming a foster or an adoptive family. Because we believe every family, uh, uh, there should be a family for every child. Now, I know some of you are here like, hmm, I don't know. And some of you are like, we're getting just out of the kid thing. Or we're just, you know, whatever. One of my favorite stories is my friend Mark Trimbeth. Uh, he had five of his own kids. And uh, he was a year away from being an empty nester. Da- youngest daughter was a senior. And uh, then... We're doing something like this. And what became known was that there was a sibling group of five kiddos from like two to 10 years old that needed a forever family. And he was like, new. And, and then he said, Brian goes, honestly, he goes, I, was, I had this vision, this dream for me that in a year, I was gonna spend all my time running around the house naked and fishing. And he said, but then God spoke to me. And I said, what God say? He said, God said, put on your pants and buy five more fishing poles. <laughs> and he did and adopted five more kids, 10 kids. So listen to God, see what maybe he's saying to you. Secondly, provide support and encouragement to another foster family. This is where it's like, I know the majority of you here are gonna be like, I got a heart for this. I don't know if our home is in a stage in my life in a place for this, but I care and we will foster a foster family. We will adopt an adoptive family. We can do something. If you're good at math, then say, I'll help with tutoring. If you're good at baking blueberries, then take, bake to blueberries and d- deliver them. If you're good at praying, pray for the family. If you're good at just checking in, check on in. If you got a van, then help carpool. If you can babysit, then babysit. Everyone can do something. Do not let yourself off the hook because you're like, I can't do the healing thing. Well, then do the helping thing. If you can't do that one thing, then what can you do? And then lastly, and this is really the thing that drives the first two, is right now, when you leave, head toward the donuts. You can get a donut, but then take another 20 more steps to burn off some calories to your right. Little, little table there says Indiana's kids belong. You can sign up for a Next Steps event on June 9th. Um, and let me assure you, you're not on the hook for anything. There's no obligation. It's just to learn some more, to ask some questions and to say, maybe what's the next little step? You can go and come out and say, I can do this next thing. And so go to that to help you take that next step. I wanna end with one last story. I have a friend, a mentor, really, Joe Ritchie. He died a couple months ago, unfortunately. The only mentor in my life that's the only man I ever called a mentor. He was amazing. Had the world record for flying across the United States faster than anybody else. Done some crazy other amazing things. One of the ones that was most remarkable is he helped solve the orphan crisis in Rwanda. And... um, one of his favorite story 
uh, in book and in movie is Les Mis. Now, he's also personal friends with Hugh Jackman. But I, I asked Joe once, I said, why is Les Mis your favorite story? And he goes, oh, that's because when people first read the story, see the story, they think it's because it's about a big, strong man who saves a little orphan girl. But it's really a story about a little orphan girl who saves a big, strong man. And that's what God is wanting to say to this church. Yes, these kids, they need you. They need a family. They need the church. But church, big, strong church, you need these little kids to help them become the church and Christian that God wants you to be. Father, I thank you so much for this church that has a heart for people from hard places, for kids from hard places. And I pray that they don't hear my voice now, they hear yours and they listen to you and then they be brave to do the next small step. Pray this in Jesus' name.